Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin, the CEO of the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's conversation, we're going to continue our discussion of generations and specifically today, Generation X. What makes this generation unique? In what ways are Gen Xers like other generations and how are they different? And what are their views of other generations? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today is Katie Plotkin, our Head of Member Development here at the Conference Board and a proud Gen Xer. Katie, welcome. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Katie, just tell us a little bit about your life and your career um, so that people can just know a little bit about you. Sure. So I grew up in the northern suburbs of New York City in what would be called a traditional home. My parents were married. We all lived together. I'm the youngest of six children. My mom was a stay-at-home mom until I went to kindergarten, and then she went back to work full-time after that. My parents really valued education, and we were always expected to do well in school and to go to college, which we all did. A strong work ethic is something that really was important to my parents and something that they ingrained in us at a very young age. We were always taught that anything we did would be a reflection on us. So that was something that always stuck with me. Yeah, and so now, what generation would your parents be from? So my parents were both born in 1943, which I believe makes them the silent generation. Yeah, just at the very end yes. of the silent. They were probably the only two people born that year. It was a, <laughs> that was a low birth year. So you, you know, you, you, you're describing your household and, you know, your early life is in pretty traditional ways. Do you think that's part and parcel to your generation or is that more of where your parents were coming from? Probably more of where my parents were coming from and where I lived. I think it was deemed normal how I grew up, and it was their influence on us, which is, you know, why we grew up that way. What would be abnormal? And I don't think it, it would be called abnormal, but at that time, I really didn't have many friends who were from divorced families or things like that, which is much more common now, I think. Okay. All right. All right. So you're part of the so called Generation X. It's only 15 years long, and you're, I think, just a little bit, a hair past the, the midpoint. How would you characterize the, the generation, Gen X? I think that we're very independent. I think we're flexible. I think we're sandwiched between two generations that we've had to, you know, navigate our, our way in between. Um, and I think we're hardworking and problem solvers. Yeah, it's interesting that the two that you're sandwiched between seem to get all of the attention. And you're talking about baby boomers before you and millennials after you. Not much is written about Gen Xers. There why do you th yeah, why do you think that is? I, I don't think we're a very vocal generation. You know, I think most of us came from a house where both parents worked. We were always taught to be independent. You came home after school, you got your own snack, and you went out and played. Um, and I just think we kind of went along with what we were supposed to do, um, which could come from our parents' generation, which you know is what I was taught to do. Well, you know, the other thing is, if you think about it, it, the earliest part of the generation, people were 
born in 1965. So they were sort of, you add 20 years when they were coming of age and it's 1985 and it's, you know, to 1995. The 80s and 90s were pretty normal kinds of times in the sense that it was a growing economy and, you know, at pretty stable times. And, um, you know, maybe that was part of it. Could be. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, as you're born in the East Coast, do you think that Gen Xers from the East Coast are any different than Gen Xers from other parts of the country? Possibly. I mean, I think East Coasters are, are unique. <laughs> How so? Oh, that's actually a very good question, Steve. Traveling to other parts of the country, I, I think of that we're all the same, but then when I go somewhere else, it's you know a slower way of life. We're very fast. We like to get things done. Um, I don't think we like a lot of fanfare. I think it's just kind of you go about your day, you do your thing, and you get it done, whereas I think other places are more um, probably into enjoying the small things in life and doing things uh, at a slower pace. I was just down south this weekend, and I was reminded of that, that I'm not in New York many times. So. Yeah, and there's there's no one New York attitude either. There is not. It's just such a diverse place. But, but it is interesting that, um, you know, a generation gets categorized as such and such way, but really there are subcultures around the country. There are different influences and so, so how do you think the people on the front end of the generation, so people who were born more towards 1965, differ or are the same as people who were born as late as 1980? So as I mentioned, I'm one of six children and I'm the youngest. So my older siblings were born on the first half of the generation. Um, I think we had very similar childhoods and upbringing, but I think the biggest difference really is the technology, is they really did not have technology probably until after college, whereas for me, I mean, maybe a little bit in high school, but for me, I remember having computers in my classroom since elementary school. Not many people had them in their homes or anything like that, but computers were a part of my life at a young age. Yeah, and so does that make you more comfortable with where we are today in this digital time? I think it does. Yeah. I think the Gen Xers have been, that's why I think we're adaptable. I think we've been able to embrace the technology. Why don't people write more about the generation? I mean, why, why are these other generations out shouting Generation X? You know, it's funny. I remember um, a movie that was made called Reality Bites in the 90s, and it was about Gen X. I feel like that's when that term was coined. And I found it insulting because it was basically saying that we were skeptical and negative and that's not how I view our generation, but I feel like that's really the only thing that has been written about us. You've talked about the generation as being peacekeepers. What do you mean by that? I feel like we're hard workers and we, we do what needs to get done. We're, we're not as vocal, I think, as millennials and probably Gen Zers, and I think we kind of take a back seat to the baby boomers. So I think we're the worker bees who get things done, we figure out how to make the generations work together because I, I feel like we grew up, experienced both ends of it. Well, you're not going to take a backseat to boomers too much longer because they're <laughs> all going to be out of the workforce and uh, and uh, retired. But uh, but do you see that as well at the at the evolution in the work for, in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. And how so? Um, it's you know right now there's what four generations in the workplace, which is is interesting. Um, I do a lot of hiring and of all different generations. And it's interesting to see how people 
perceive things differently than others and how they approach things and the way they need to be managed and the way they need to be led. I think it's important to understand the differences because that's how you're going to get the best out of people. You're one of the most senior executives in our organization. Now you lead the sales effort and so um, you have you really do see now Generation X rising to those levels not just for you and in our organization but but you know across the country and across the world. How do you think leadership will change now that Gen Xers are in charge? I think we're probably going to be more open to the differences within the workplace. Which is good because the generations that came after you (laughs) are demanding. They are. They are. They're very vocal. They're very accepting of anything goes, that's what I kind of call it, (laughs) which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, they embrace diversity, which is great. Whereas I think for all of us, you know, I described my childhood, it was very traditional. It was something that I had to grow into and learn and experience as I got older. I think the younger generations have experienced diversity their entire lives, and they're much more accepting of things, which is a great quality. So, you know, how does that impact your leadership? Let's go back to that, because if you're the peacekeeping generation, uh, or maybe it's just you, Katie, who who is a peacekeeper, (laughs) and you are, um, how do you then lead and, and get to consensus when you just want to make peace. Well, you have to lead everybody in different ways. You have to understand how they're going to react to things and what is going to motivate them. And that's how you you have to interact with them. And that's what I always keep in mind when I'm I'm working with people. I'm very aware of the different personalities and how they like to be communicated with and I I I really try to emulate that when I when I lead them. Now, so just thinking about your your fam- going back to your family, um, your parents were were really late silent generation. Grandparents were from generation before that. Yeah, the greatest generation. The greatest generation. So you've seen and you know, spent time with, a, you know, a couple of two, three generations before you. Do you see differences in those three generations? I do. I mean, probably not. Quite as bit. So the greatest generation, I think of my grandparents, I mean, everything that they had to overcome. I mean, living through wars and the Great Depression and poverty and things like that. You know, my grandmother was sent on a bus at 17 years old from Pennsylvania to get a job in New York and send money home <laughs> to her family. I mean, I couldn't even imagine doing something like that now. And she was able to build a life for, you know, my mom and her family. And I think my mom was similar to my grandmother's generation, not as hard, probably. You know, she didn't have such a hard line on life and as gritty as my grandmother would have been. And then I think the boomers, which, as you said, my parents, you know, kind of just miss that, which is very true. They do have, I think, some of their friends, maybe not necessarily boomers by categorization by the years. Some of them did live that Woodstock, you know, life, whereas my parents didn't. They were very traditional. They got, you know, went to college, got married right out of college, and had kids immediately and went on to have six children and moved to the suburbs. So, Right. And that, so, and that is really different yeah. than the expectations for your generation, although you're, you described your generation as kind of following in those footsteps, even though maybe it wasn't expected. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think some of us have. I mean, I can't say that everything I did is what everyone in my generation has done. But I would say for my siblings and me, that we all pretty much followed in the way my parents 
lived their lives. Now, the generation after you is, is gener- well, it's, it, you're an X, so then there's Y and Z, but Y mm-hmm. millennial. got a new name, which is millennial. So, so it's really millennial and, Z, and Gen Z. And that, that's probably the majority of the kinds of uh, folks that, you, or not kind, but the, the age of folks that you manage today, yes. right? Do you see a big difference in those two generations? Again, I, I think it's split. I think the early millennials are very similar to my views and my upbringing. But then the later millennials, I think, overlap with what's now Gen Z, <laughs> where, you know, a lot of them are technology natives. You know, they've always had technology. Um, millennials, you know, have had it for most of their lives. I mean, I had it, but later on. Um, and I think that makes a difference. I think it just makes a difference on how you approach things, how you view life. I think as a Gen Xer and an early millennial, we're more accepting to things not working perfectly because we've always had to do workarounds and didn't have technology where you pressed a button. And then we have the millennials and Gen Zers come in and say, oh, you could do that so easily. You just press the button and it's done. And I'm in awe because I never would even thought to do it that way. <laughs> so that's the technological yeah. side of it. How about the value side of it? I mean, I think in general, I think Millennials are probably more collaborative than previous generations. They like working together. They like, you know, having yeah. a seat at the table. Yeah, but then, you know, they're the generation that wants to work remotely. So how, does, how do you square that? I mean, I think that's just the world that we're, we're in right now. And I think they, they did grow up with this type of technology that it's not a big deal to talk to somebody on a screen. Whereas for us, we always had that face-to-face you know, interaction in the office and worked in an office every day where most of them haven't now at this point. They're well, and the pandemic now is, is kind of fresh in everybody's mind, so that kind of colors things, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you think we'll get back to working in the workplace more like you had it before? I don't. I really don't. What do you, I think, see, ha- what do you see happening? I, I think these newer generations crave more flexibility, as I believe my generation has too, but I think it's just gotten even more and more pronounced in the later generations. And maybe it is because they saw their parents with flexibility who were working from home. So I think that's what they see as normal, that, you know, what do you mean you have to go to an office five days a week? I don't understand what that means. Um, I I do see us getting to a place where there is some in-person interaction because there's a lot of value to that. I mean, nothing replaces face-to-face. I think everybody can agree to that. But I think, you know, the world has evolved and technology has evolved where it's make it, it makes it a lot easier. We're discussing the unique characteristics of Generation X with Katie Plotkin. We're going to take a short break and be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem-solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. 
Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Katie Plotkin, who leads the sales effort here at the Conference Board and is a proud member of Generation X, sort of. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the asterisk we need to put on Generation X. It's sorta of, because you're really influenced by, you know, the collar generations, and so you know, do you have a distinction in and of, it, of yourself? I guess that's you know. Fair we question. bridge the gap. I think we 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 can. You're the peace caper. We're between the, the bridge. two. Yes. Yeah, but we, you have. So, as you look, um, you know, over the the span of your generation, again, with birth years from 1965 to 1980, what are some of the, I don't know, national and global events that have happened that kind of stand out for that generation? I know for me, the first major event I remember as a child is the explosion of the Challenger shuttle. I was in school. I was in fourth grade. I remember it vividly. We were watching it on TV. It was very exciting. And then the explosion happened. 1986. Yes. So. Yeah, and that and that and that was the first kind of failure of that big program. There was yes. there was the previous fires and you know the problems with the Apollo program, but that was not in your generation. So that so that's a big deal because it it kind of points to the fallibility of you know everything around you, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and that was a big thing as a little kid. Everybody wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, that was the little kid thing of what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, most of the kids would say an astronaut. You know, did we you had, want to be an astronaut? I did not. I, <laughs> I'm not really a science person, but I did like the astronaut ice cream that we would get when oh, we had the now, units on astronauts. Now we know where you're, where you're living. <laughs> so they want, but, and so therefore, this was a big deal. It because, was a big deal. Yeah. Did people stop wanting to be astronauts after that? Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, there yeah. there was there was I know there was a number of movies made in the '80s about teenagers being astronauts, and that kind of that slowed down. Yeah, because it wasn't all just fun and games. Yeah. It's it's reality, right? High risk kind of a deal. What else? What other kind of events do you? I think remember? after that would be the fall of the Berlin Wall. That w that was a big deal. You remember that? I do. Yeah. I think it was 1989, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That I remember. I remember um, Operation Desert Storm. I remember I went to a Catholic school. We would go and pray for the troops in the chapel every day when that happened. Did you know anyone that went? I don't think so. Later, the second one, <laughs> yes, but not the first. Yeah, and okay, and so Desert Storm was a kind of a big deal. I mean, it, it, so were people pat in your generation patriotic about that? I, what I mean is, did they rally in a in a positive way, or did they did they view that as something we shouldn't be doing? No, I think it was definitely patriotic for my generation. It okay. wasn't like a Vietnam where people were split. Were divisive, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then the and then the later Gulf War. Yes, the later Gulf War. And then, you know, of course, 9-11. I was, you know, in my early 20s when that happened. Here in New York. In New York, was here in the office, had to get out that day. I was actually supposed to be there that day, and I was one where? on the number one. You were supposed to be in the tower on 9-11. I was. Why weren't you? Uh, my meeting got canceled. I was supposed to meet somebody at Marsh and McClurning, and he had to move the meeting. Thankfully, he was not in the building either. That is remarkable. I so know. The, so that's a, so that that's a dimension that is, you know, really different for you. Yes. Because it could, you know you. So how do you deal with that? It could have been me. 
it was hard. I, after 9-11 was hard. I feel like I really wasn't much of a big news person until 9-11. And then I feel like I've become glued to the news and watching everything and listening to everything. And, you know, it was it was difficult. You know, we, we got out of New York that day. It was scary. But for a long time after, it was, you know, a little bit of survivor's guilt of why wasn't I there. But also just, you know, New York was... A sad time after 9-11. Yeah, we're, we're sitting right yeah. now in Midtown um, Manhattan you know, having this conversation. Um, so you were supposed to have been in that building. You're sitting here on that day in this very same mm -hmm. office. And how did you hear about it? So I walked into the office and um, I turned on my computer and a friend of mine instant messaged me. She lived in Chicago. And she said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I said, what? You know, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about that. What do you mean? So I was kind of walking around the office. It was before 9, so not that many people were in. And we were trying to figure out what was happening. And somebody had a radio that they turned on the radio. And, you know, there was the confusion. We all went into the big conference room and turned on the TV and watched it all unfold. Now, could you see anything, you know, when you stepped into this street talk about what you oh it was it witnessed. was completely smoke filled and the streets were just jam-packed with people just walking uptown and nobody knew where to go because nobody knew you know where it would be safe and, and what did you do that they did, did did how long did you stay and, and who decided you know how did you decide to leave so after we saw the pentagon get hit <laughs> one of my colleagues here matt dornfeld we were together and we said you know we're and we lived near each other we said we're we're gonna get out of here so we left. I met another friend who lived uptown, and I have no idea how, but we were the luckiest people in the world. I think we got the last taxi out of Manhattan. And I remember running into somebody on the street in a panic, and he said, you know, where? I didn't know the person, but he said, where are you going to go? And I said, the Bronx, because that's where I lived at the time. He said, is it safe there? I said, I don't know. I just live there. I just want to get home. And, you know, never saw the person again. But somehow we, I don't know how, we got into a taxi and got off Manhattan. Because then they sealed the island. Nobody was allowed on or off. So it was... Um, it was it was an interesting day. Yeah, boy, we could we could have a whole podcast we could. <laughs> on this subject because this is this is you know you're almost you know an, an eyewitness in all of this. But the point is, it impacted you, and therefore it impacted, of course, the generation. And the closer you were to New York, the more of the impact I would yes I would assume. Do you have friends and relatives out? Well, you mentioned your friend in Chicago, but other parts of the country and and you know any kind of view of the impact on them? Uh, so my, my brother lived in um, Virginia, right outside of D.C. at that point. And so that was scary. My parents happened to be in Chicago, actually, for a funeral, unfortunately. And they had, you know, they didn't know where I was. They didn't know where my brother was. It was, it was scary, scary, I think. Yeah. But I think from what I hear from friends outside of there, you know, people just didn't know what was going to happen next. You know, it was kind of after three planes hit and then you know the one crashed in Pennsylvania it was like oh my gosh we're, we're at war what's going on here right. and nobody felt safe nobody did no and and so did do you think that kind of colored your generation at least from an American perspective your generation's view of of security and safety I do and it's probably why you know I think we're known to be helicopter parents to our children I think that's part of it is we grew up in early on and what was the Cold War, but we didn't really feel the impact at all at home. I mean, this was here on our soil, just going to work one day, and this is what can happen to you. And I think, you know, it did make us feel unsafe. So as a 
helicopter parent, how how did how are you different with your family than previous generations? I would say, um, I mean, and I wouldn't call myself a total helicopter parent. A little bit, a little bit, but not 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 too bad. But we're going to interview your children after this, and we'll compare notes. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but you know, I think for me, I had a lot of freedom as a kid. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that, and. That's what I remind myself when I do let my children do things. I, you know, I could track them on their phone if yeah, sure I want to. So that. they should be safer. But I actually try. I really try not to. I said, as long as you respond to me, I'm not going to track you. <laughs> but I definitely check in more with them to see where they are, what's going on, when are they going to be home. And for me as a kid, it was just kind of like be home for dinner. And, and how much of that is driven by you know those the experience of 9/11 and its aftermath? And how much of that is just the day and age? I think it's both. Okay. I mean, probably more the day and age, but it definitely, you know, I think 9-11 definitely had an impact on us. Any other events? I mean, after you get through 9-11, what else is there? But any other events in your generation well, that would define the generation? The Great Recession, more recently the pandemic. It's, you know, it's been exhausting. Holy cow, you guys have brought a lot of a lot of tragedy. I know. This. Yeah. So now, do you take ownership of this as a generation, all these? No. <laughs> All right. She's looking at me really funny. No, heck no. So, you know, when, how do you think other generations look at Generation X? Let's just go back to your, you know, what your grandparents' generation viewed you as a little kid. So let's just say, how do boomers and, um, and your parents' generation look at Generation X? If I was to ask them. Nobody knows who we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have anything really defining because I think we, you know, as I said, I think we're independent and hardworking and just go about and do what I think we're supposed to do. I That's funny. And yeah. so then how do how do millennials and Gen Zers think about Gen X? Do they know I, who you are? I don't know if they would think of us differently than boomers, maybe. I think they kind of just you all in. flow in. I do. Wow. You have no identity. I know. It's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but so let's dial forward then. You okay. know, so let's just go out, I don't know, way out, 100 years after we're all gone. How will they look at Generation X? I hope that they will look at us as a very important generation that did bridge that gap between the boomers and the millennials, which are right now the two largest generations. I mean, I think Gen Z is supposed to surpass the millennials soon in number of people but I think because we experienced you know so much of the our early lives were similar to the boomers and traditional and things like that but then the middle to our later lives we did embrace technology and I think we were able to bridge that communication gap even so that people were able to understand each other and work together and you know, hopefully we're also known for the folks who created all of these technologies that brought us forward because it really is our generation that has invented these things. Um, we're just very quiet about it. Yeah, because it's the other generations that get uh, the credit for using it, but mm -hmm. somebody had to invent it, right? And if you look at the timing, yeah, it's Gen X. Although you're not completely taking ownership of that, but uh, <laughs> but no, it's interesting. So maybe you maybe you will go down in history as the peacekeeping generation or maybe you'll go down in history as the last traditional generation which would you prefer I think both I would be okay with either one quite yeah. honestly yeah and maybe that's maybe that's the uh, 
another another uh, characteristic of your generation. You just, yeah, kind of accepting. We are. I think we go, we're flexible. We go along with things and can make it work. Katie Potkin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. It was great to be here. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with every generation. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.